Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for gathering us together this morning so that we might hear your word. And we ask for you to bless us. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, so that our hearts would be open, so that our ears would hear, and so that your word might dwell within us for all time. All this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. How many of you think that this country is the best country in the world? Let me see some hands. That there isn't any other country in the world that even comes close. And would you be surprised if I told you that everyone from every one of those other countries feels the same way about their country, that we feel about this country? Uh, they, they thought that, that we are the greatest, we are the best, uh, is what we call patriotism or nationalism or American exceptionalism. Uh, but it's a state of mind that says we're, we're it and they're not. And in fact, the, the other side of that coin is what we call xenophobia. It's the idea that the other countries just aren't, they don't measure up. They're just not good enough. This is not a new concept. This is as old as the hills. This is something that we're going to see uh, and experience in the gospel reading today. It's a difference between us and them. You know, I, I really like this time of year. We call it ordinary time, but it's not ordinary. So the, the word uh, in Latin, ordinal, means numbered, and this is the time of year when we number the weeks of the year following Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. And so we're on proper 15 this week, and we're going to go all the way to proper 29 at the end of November. But this is a time of year that's not ordinary. It's, a, it's a really a time for me that's exceptional because this is the time of year that we are allowed to really uh, dive deep into Jesus' ministry and to catch the details that we've kind of skipped over as we rush through, say, for the season of Lent and we go through the highlights of Jesus' ministry from the, his baptism all the way to the cross in six weeks. You just don't have time to get it all during that period of time. And the same thing in Advent with the uh, stories that lead up to Christmas. We just don't have a chance to, to cover it all. But, so this time of year is special to me because this is where we can really examine in some detail Jesus' ministry. And we haven't had too much chance to do that here at Resurrection over the last few months because uh, Ben has been preaching from the epistles. And so I want to bring us up to speed a little bit on what has been happening over the last two months in the gospel readings. Uh, and, and we've been pretty much uh, in Matthew 13, 14, and now 15 uh, since the 4th of July. This season kind of started with Jesus' parables, where he uh, told us some stories that would illuminate what the nature of the human heart was like in the parable of the sower. And then he spent several parables talking about what the kingdom of heaven was like. Uh, and from there, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and accepts the scroll from Isaiah and reads the 
part that is specifically uh, geared towards what to look for in the Messiah when the Messiah comes. And at first uh, glance, the people of Nazareth are amazed at his speaking. But when he stands up and says, today in your hearing, this prophecy has been fulfilled, they're astounded. In fact, they're incensed and they grab him and they want to take him out to the hill and throw him off. Throw him off the cliff. And Jesus turns and miraculously walks back through them unharmed. But he has, he has been going throughout Galilee and teaching in the synagogues and healing people. And the word is getting around that, that there's something exceptional going on in Galilee. Except that in Nazareth, his hometown, uh, it was not well received. But as he goes around, this crowd continues to grow and follow. And there are some that are truly wanting to hear what he has to say. They want to be his disciples. And then there's a larger majority of that crowd that just want to see what he's going to do next or what he's going to say next. We, we call them camp followers. And in the start of chapter 14 here, Jesus learns of the death of his cousin John the Baptist. And he desires to withdraw to a solitary place in order to contemplate that and to pray. And he and his disciples get in the boat and they head out across the lake. Uh, if you're looking at a clock, uh, they start from Capernaum, which is up at 12, and they're headed towards a solitary place called Tabca, which is about halfway between 9 and 10 over on the northwest shore. Uh, it's a solitary place, but the people see where the boat is headed and they head on down the shoreline and they get there first. And when Jesus sees the crowd, it says he has compassion. And he pulls in and he spends the rest of that day healing the sick. He could have told his disciples, let's turn around and go back the other way so they can't catch up with us. But no, he spent the day healing. And that evening when the disciples said, you need to send everybody home so they can get something to eat because nobody came out here packing a lunch today. Jesus says, you feed them. And they say, well, all we got is five loaves and two fish. And you know the rest of that story, how Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and they distributed it. And 5,000 people plus women and children were fed and satisfied. In fact, they took up leftovers. They took up 12 baskets full of leftovers. They had more leftovers than they started with. That evening, Jesus dismisses the crowd. He puts the disciples back in the boat and sends them back to Capernaum. And he goes up on the mountain and finally has a chance to be alone and pray for a short period of time. He looks out of the lake and he sees the disciples rowing against a, a strong storm and they're not getting anywhere. And about the fourth watch of the night, which would be about three or four o'clock in the morning, he goes walking out on the lake to them. He has compassion on them seeing the situation that they're in. And they think they saw a ghost. He says, be not afraid. I am. He uses the same words that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush when Moses asked what his name was. He says, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. It's not that I'm here or I'm with you. It's just I am. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me and I'll come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks all the way over to Jesus. And then he realizes it's four o'clock in the morning. He's in the middle of a lake in the middle of a storm. He takes his focus off of Jesus and he begins to sink. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And he 
lifts him up, and they get in the boat, and instantly, according to Luke, they arrive at their destination. So I'm covering all this material because it, it sets the context for today's lesson. They land in Gennesaret. Gennesaret is the strip of land along the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee from where the feeding of the 5,000 took place up to Capernaum. It's a strip of land. It's a few miles wide along the shoreline there. So when they come to Capernaum, they're on the northern end of the region of Gennesaret. And it says, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around the region and brought all who were sick to him. And they begged him just to let them touch the hem of his garment and all who did. Were healed. So Jesus has this tremendous healing ministry, and the word is getting out, and the crowds are growing. And he and the disciples are really having a tough time finding some alone time. But with our gospel reading today, Jesus withdraws completely from Galilee. He goes to the coast, to the north, to the region of Tyre and Sidon which would be in today in modern southern Lebanon. It's the area where the Phoenicia, Phoenician Empire was before Israel was. And this woman who was part Syrian and part Phoenician, uh, Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman, she learned that Jesus was there. Uh, in John it says that he went into a house and didn't want anybody to know where he was. But this woman found out. And she comes following after them and calling out, O Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. Jesus doesn't say anything. She's persistent. She continues to call out, Lord, help me. The disciples turn to Jesus and say, Lord, send her away. She's pestering us. She keeps calling out to us. It reminds me of the parable of the persistent widow who kept going to the judge for justice and finally he gave up and said, you know, if I don't give her justice, she's going to wear me out. And so he did. This woman keeps coming and asking for help for her daughter. And Jesus finally says something and he's saying this to the disciples, not to her. He says, I was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman who is listening in on this is, is thinking to herself, well, you, you fill in the blank. What do you think she's thinking when Jesus says, you know, I'm not sent for you Gentile people. I'm just sent for the Israelites, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because she knelt before him. She came and, and right in front of him, she gets down on her knees and says, Lord, help me. And Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, the reason I spent so much time a while ago talking about us and them is because in Israel, especially in this day, there is a word for thems. Us is Jewish. Them is Gentile. Where Gentile simply means not Jewish. It's everybody else. There's thus, us. And there's them. And when Jesus uses the word dog, it's a pejorative that the Israelites use against the Gentiles. They are no better than dogs. 
And in those days, dogs were not the cuddly puppies that we love so much and call man's best friend. They were working animals. They were scavengers. They lived outdoors. They'd take the pie out of your window before it got cool. You didn't want to be around them. It was a derogatory remark. And to call somebody a dog, they knew what you were trying to say. Just think of the worst thing you could call somebody now, and, and this would match that. So Jesus has just told her, I'm not here for you. I'm here only for the lost sheep of Israel. And it's not right to take the children's bread. Remember, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the true bread that came down from heaven. It's the same thing that was just demonstrated, feeding of the 5,000, how people were thinking about how God had supplied manna and quail for the people in Israel as they went through the desert for 40 years. And their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell. Jesus has basically said to her face, I'm not here for you, and I'm not here for the dogs. How is she to take this? He's just called her the worst thing possible. And we would have to ask ourselves, why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus use this kind of language to the face of a Gentile woman? Because we read in Isaiah that God is not against everybody else. In fact, the people who, who are foreigners and marry themselves to God, are those are going to be taken into his temple to minister to him. Why say this kind of language to her? I think that it's an opportunity for the woman to respond. And I think Jesus is testing her on how she would respond if called out in this way. Especially in light of the fact that she's asking for something of him. She doesn't even blink an eye when he says this. She says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from the master's table. Even the dogs, the lowest animals that are around. I mean, they're not even as good as cats. The dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, just to throw me a crumb. Because a crumb is all my daughter needs to be healed from this demon. I'm not asking for the world. I'm just asking for a crumb. And Jesus commends her. This is, old woman, great is your faith. It will be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In the Greek it says her daughter was healed from that moment. Jesus has presented us them situation as a test for this woman to see what her reaction will be. And her reaction is one of faith. It's one of great faith. She, she goes with the pejorative and doesn't even bat an eye. She says, yes, that's true. Throw me a crumb. Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This woman has had a great faith. She has hoped for the great healer who has come into her region miraculously. I mean, she had no hope for her daughter being apart from Israel 
And yet, here he has come to her. Maybe what I've hoped for so much is actually going to happen. And it does. You see, it's not that Jesus is sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. But he is sent for all the sheep. For all the peoples. When he talks about being the good shepherd. He said there's another flock out there that I have to go to. So that there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about us, the Gentiles. From their perspective, we're the dogs. And yet Jesus has thrown us a crumb and included us in the flock. As Paul is writing uh, to the people in Rome, he tells them, yes, the branches were broken off of the house of Israel because of their unbelief. But that was actually an opportunity for the Gentiles to receive the same message. And they have responded to it in great faith as this woman from Tyre and Sidon has responded with great faith. But don't let it go to your heads. Don't say we're the now the in people and the and the Israelites are out because they decided not to. He said, just like their branches were broke off, your branches can be broke off too. We need to be grateful and and loving for what we have received. But just as the Unbelief of Israel made an opportunity for us to receive the word. If they don't continue in their, in their unbelief, they can be grafted back in. And, and Paul tells us that that will happen. I spent a lot of time this week in Romans, starting at uh, chapter 9 and reading through to chapter 12, as to what he has to say about the future of Israel. If you've got some time sometime, I suggest you sit down and, and read those so you know what's happened to the olive tree, the branches that were broke off, and the branches that will be grafted back in because God has preserved for himself a remnant. Not only a remnant in Israel, but a remnant in the world, us, who will be faithful, who will have great faith, who will hope for the things that we can't see. And know with certainty God has given them to us. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. For grafting us into your olive tree. For bringing us into your fold and flock. And for giving us the faith to even ask for a crumb. For a crumb of your salvation is enough to justify us. And set us on the path to the likeness of your Son. We thank you and praise you in his holy name. Amen.